1: Welcome into this week's edition of the Believe in Tobacco Road podcast. I am your host, Ryan Stone, Believe Podcast, the network for professionals. Glad to be joined in this week by David Glenn, formerly of the, uh, the David Glenn Show, where you could hear it all across the state of North Carolina for a number of years. I would call him uh, the voice of the ACC uh, for, for years and years. I uh, covered it as well as anybody, also uh, owner of ACCSports.com and uh, writes now for the athletic as well. David, uh, so much appreciate you coming on with us uh, here tonight. It's good to be with you, Ryan. We picked a good time to get together. <laughs> that we did. Uh, just to kind of give it uh, some background context, David and I emailed a couple weeks ago about the, the idea of doing this conversation, and he mentioned, you know, this would be around the time probably that the ACC would uh, would come out with their schedule idea for football, and what do you know <laughs> Yesterday, they end up uh, coming out with it, and the SEC came out with theirs uh, today. So a lot, to, uh, a lot to dive into there. Uh, and to start with that, David, what was your first reaction when you saw the, uh, the ACC's announcement? Just all of it in general, your first initial uh, reaction to it. I thought I was a little surprised that they decided on the
0: 10-plus-1 model because in modern college football, 12 is the usual number of regular season games. So to outline, and that's, what the, that's the word they used, an outline as long as health officials say it's okay to execute yeah. <laughs> this plan, they adopted basically an 11-game plan. And I think that's aggressive. I wonder if their feeling is you can always dial back from 11 if the health situation gets more complicated or a game or two has to be canceled or postponed or moved around, they did build 2 bye bi-weeks into this schedule, even though we don't have all the dates yet. So it's an aggressive approach given that we've already seen some problems in Major League Baseball. We've seen more success with the sports that chose the bubble option, but bubbles aren't really possible for college football. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's an optimistic, aggressive attempt to play something close to a full season and a lot of people are surprised by that because these are amateur athletes not professionals and throwing them into tricky
1: circumstances to that degree is eye-opening to say the least yeah I don't don't think there's any question about that I I was surprised that the number of games they went with as well but I, I guess the other thing just from the sports side of it was and I, I wondered this a couple weeks ago on the podcast was, did they have the upper hand on Notre Dame now to get them in the conference? And I guess the answer was yes, <laughs> because they got Notre Dame into the conference for a season uh, at least, but they have to play a 10-game ACC schedule now. I, I, I do One other thing that I did notice about the Notre Dame schedule is that they get what, what you would probably consider three of their four toughest games at home. I thought that was kind of eye-opening as well. Well, you bring
0: up a good point because Notre Dame has been famously and fiercely independent forever, for as long as we've been alive and a lot longer than that. And some people wondered if the ACC would leverage Notre Dame in the bigger sense, meaning giving up their football independence for the longer term. Now, that was never on the table. Yeah. (laughs) Some people have actually criticized either John Swafford or the ACC for not using that leverage. You know, Notre Dame would have been the rare independent sort of kind of left out in the cold during this unusual pandemic season. But I think the bottom line that a lot of John Swafford's critics forgot was when times of trouble come along, you don't beat up your allies. You don't stab them in the back. You don't say, (laughs) I have you bent over a barrel, so I am going to force you (laughs) to do this or that. I mean, maybe you do that to your enemy. But yeah. that is not what you do with someone who is a full member in all the other sports that the Atlantic Coast Conference sponsors. So the full membership long-term was never discussed. Uh, the one-year option, the most eye-opening aspect was Notre Dame agreed to cough up its NBC Sports money. Now remember, yeah. they get all that money. The ACC TV contracts in football, are the value is spread among 14 schools. Notre Dame for many years has had that NBC deal where, yeah, visitors do get some money, but the TV money compared to the full sharing in the ACC is all going to Notre Dame. So the fact that the ACC bent a little bit by giving Notre Dame the 10 games they wanted, but Notre Dame had to bend a little bit too. Notre Dame will get a full share rather than a partial share of the ACC's shared revenue. That's a $30 million-plus difference. But the ACC said, hey, if you're going to get a full share next at the end of this 2021 academic year, you got to give us something in return, and we mean financially. So the fact that that NBC money is also, for one year and one year only, going to pour into the ACC basket and be shared that's a pretty big deal in both directions. And, again, that's how allies are supposed to treat each other at times of strife.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, I mean, the ACC, like you mentioned, they get that, the TV money. That's a big, a big thing. And they also – I mean, they get the opportunity for Clemson-Notre Dame twice this season. And, and what looked like was – I mean, I think it was going to be a closer year in terms of teams gaining some ground on Clemson. But it looked like it was going to be another – all Clemson season, now you bring Notre Dame in. And Clemson, obviously, probably still the far more superior talented team, but it's at least Clemson and Notre Dame as far as the names to set up uh, those two matchups for the the potential matchup for the ACC. Yeah, here's one
0: way to look at it. In the preseason polls, and we know they're not always accurate, but toward the (laughs) the top they tend to get, you know, at least half of the top teams right most of the time in the preseason. The only ACC football team in the national top 10 was going to be Clemson. And in fact, it was hard to find another ACC team in the national top 25. Now, you'd find them in this poll or that poll. Some people like UNC or Pittsburgh or uh, somebody else, you know, Virginia Tech or Louisville, whomever. The fact that Notre Dame is truly a full member this year, they're a preseason top 10 team. Now, we don't know, as you said, we don't know it's going to be Clemson against Notre Dame, but we do know that they threw out the divisional format for this year. It's not like it's going to be Atlantic champion versus Coastal champion. So that allows for the possibility of any matchup, actually, because you don't have to worry about divisions. But I like to remind people that when – Miami joined the Atlantic Coast Conference long ago. (laughs) There were people who thought Florida State and Miami would play each other for the ACC title in football every year. And here we are, you know, a decade and a half later, and it has never happened, not not one time. So (laughs) uh, we'll see if the Clemson-Notre Dame double happens, but I do think the addition of the Irish as a full-time member in football does make ACC football more interesting than Clemson, and we'll see what happens with the other 13, which is the way a lot of people viewed it before all this.
1: Yeah, I think that it adds a little more interest, I think, to ACC football, not just, not, just on the, not just in ACC country, but I think nationally as well when you bring in a national brand uh, like, uh, like Notre Dame. I, another team that I think strangely won in all this, if we're going to go with tobacco road schools, is NC State. Because I, I, talked, to, I talked to Phil Steele last week, and he, he's high on NC State. He, he thought NC State coming in the season, they could finish second in the, uh, in the Atlantic. Um, they, they drew a schedule that does not have Clemson or Notre Dame. Uh, so I, I think that, that's appealing for, uh, for NC State and the, uh, and the Wolfpack. Now, of course, we all know the Wolfpack are pretty much always their own worst enemy. So who knows what's going to happen, but that's at least appealing to, uh, to look at anyway.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about it. If you look at the four North Carolina schools or, you know, some people define Tobacco Road a little bit more broadly than that, uh, NC State is the only team in this league that is going to dodge both preseason top five Clemson and preseason top ten Notre Dame. And that's a really big deal whether you're playing eight games, ten games, eleven games, or twelve games. You know, somebody like Carolina had Notre Dame added to its schedule. Uh, so when you can be the team that doesn't have a single, I won't say unwinnable, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but you know, one where you know nine times out of 10, you're going to lose to Clemson, and maybe eight times out of 10, you're going to lose if it's a quality Notre Dame team, to be able to dodge both of those and to be able to genuinely look at your 11 opponents, whoever 11 turns out to be for the Wolfpack, genuinely look at it and say, yeah, we have a chance if we play well. Uh, that's different than basically every year of the Dave Doran era because yeah. every year they would have had to circle Clemson home or away as a real long shot, and this time they just don't have an
1: opponent that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, their toughest game, I, you know, as far as on the road, it would be at, at UNC, which is a, a rivalry matchup. I mean, everybody's high; a lot of people are high on UNC, so I mean, it's certainly not a, not a tough game, game but it's not, it's not playing Clemson, and, and then you get, the, you get the Florida State's the Miamis, and the Wake Forest at, uh, at home. So, I mean, it, it's certainly a, a manageable schedule for, uh, for the Wolfpack this season.
0: I think there's a fun factor, too, because I'd have to double-check to be sure, but I, be- I believe the Wolfpack gets every member of the Coastal Division this year. And, of course, we've heard for years that the Wolfpack fan base has said, well, man, we're stuck behind Clemson in the Atlantic. <laughs> we're stuck behind Florida State in the Atlantic. You know, some years Bobby Petrino had the Louisville Cardinals rolling. We're stuck behind these three heavyweights in the Atlantic, and those coastal clowns never have to play anybody. That was what a lot of Wolfpack football fans complained about. Well, guess what? This year you essentially get to play the full coastal schedule.
1: So we'll see whether you can dominate them the way you've claimed you can dominate them. And you're right. I have it pulled up in front of me. They do get the entire coastal. So that is that, is, that is an interesting. Let's see how you do. <laughs> that is an interesting tidbit for uh, for NC State fans to look at. Uh, no question about it. I, when when you look at UNC, I mean their their schedule's pretty appealing too. They don't they don't draw Clemson. The Notre Dame game is, is at home. Uh, on the road, they go to Florida State and to Miami, which are certainly they're, – they're projected to be better this year, but they certainly don't appear to be, especially with the type of momentum Carolina's program has, they don't appear to be non-winnable games this season. So it, it seems to line up you know, pretty well for, for UNC this season also.
0: I agree with you, Ryan. Obviously, they've been recruiting amazingly well under Mac Brown. They found their quarterback in Sam Howell who might be you know, the best professional prospect at the quarterback position in the history of UNC football. I mean, Mitch Trubisky just made that leap not too long ago and was a high first-round draft pick, so you can't get too far ahead of his story, Hal being only a sophomore. But the on-campus talent is good. The recruiting talent on the way is really, really good. And as you mentioned, I always look at road games, right? Boston College is expected to be a middling to lower part of the ACC team, uh, ACC type squad this year. Duke is on the road, but the Blue Devils need to find a quarterback. They're not expected to be one of those vintage teams for David Cutcliffe. And Virginia is not expected to be anything close to the team that won the Coastal last year and played Clemson for the ACC title. So we'll see about Miami and Florida State. Those are the other two road trips for the Tar Heels. But when you have an unintimidating home schedule outside of Notre Dame, uh, Virginia Tech's not easy. The Wolfpack is not easy either, given the nature of that rivalry. But all things considered, yes, the Tar Heels have a manageable schedule, and they have a great chance of kind of moving up a notch or two in year two of the Mac Brown era.
1: Yeah, I think that's certainly the the case, and you know he's already kind of doing it on the national scale as far as recruiting, but has a chance to. Proven even more on the field uh, this year. Uh, The team that may have the toughest schedule with the draw of all this is way far schedule is, uh, is pretty brutal. Uh, Especially when you factor that plus one in and we were talking before we came on to record, it has to either be at home or in state. Well, I would have to assume that the game they're going to keep is at home against Appalachian state. That's already on their schedule. That would have to be my assumption in, in that regard, because, and it's early in the season as well. Uh, but not just that, they play Clemson at home, they play Miami at home, they play Notre Dame at home, they play Virginia Tech at home. I mean, the only game that, that it looks like on paper that they'll be favored at home in is against Virginia.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't like that wake schedule either. That's certainly a, a, a difficult one, and we'll, we'll see. Dave Clawson's a heck of a coach and always yeah. seems to overachieve. The only team that I might argue got an even more difficult schedule, at least in the ACC, the Pitt Panthers are viewed by many as one of the possible breakthrough-type teams. You know, Pat Narduzzi always has a really good defense. We'll see about the Panthers' offense. But Pitt, in this revised schedule, has the host Notre Dame, which is expected to be really good, host Virginia Tech and Louisville, which – A lot of people believe in both the Hokies and the Cardinals this year, Louisville being very experienced. The Panthers also must visit Clemson and Florida State and Miami. Those are long road trips for a team (laughs) from Western Pennsylvania, and they could be three quality teams on the road. So the combination – those six games for Pitt, I would argue, are as tough as any six games that any ACC team faces this year on the gridiron. So – yeah wakes got an uphill battle uh pitt might might
1: claim the hardest schedule in the acc pitt also gets nc state at home too so i mean that's not gonna be, that's not going to be an easy uh, easy game either so yeah i mean those those certainly appear to be the teams that have the the two most uh, most daunting schedules um i Duke's schedule just looking it, it, i mean I, I just don't i never know what to expect from duke i mean i i feel like whatever I expect, Coach Cutcliffe most of the time is going to outperform it. So if I expect three wins, he'll get five. If I expect five, he'll get six or seven and have a bowl-eligible team. Uh, But looking at their schedule, the home slate is tough. I mean, Florida State, UNC, Virginia Tech, they go on the road to NC State and Notre Dame. Outside of that, their road schedule's not that bad. Uh, But it it seems like a very – I don't know, even type schedule for for Duke as far as, you know, setting up for for success.
0: Yeah, and one thing that jumps out about the Blue Devils beyond the schedule that you just described, think about this league right now. Clemson has Trevor Lawrence at the most important position on the field. We mentioned Sam Howell at North Carolina being the solution at that position there. Louisville has Malik Cunningham as a returning starter, right? You know, a Pitt team that has promise, has Kenny Pickett back for his senior year as a returning starter. If Virginia Tech is going to break through, they know they have Hendon Hooker, a guy from Greensboro, North Carolina, who went 6-2 and two as a starter last year. He's a returning starter for the Hokies, and they have other options even beyond that. There's really – Miami has a Houston transfer named Derek King who was phenomenal yeah. <laughs> with the Cougars prior to having a rougher year last year when he kind of unplugged halfway through. So when you think about Duke, you know, Daniel Jones is in the NFL, and see the senior last year, Quentin Harris, of course, has moved on. So they don't have an obvious answer at the most important position on the field. David Cutcliffe is the mentor to, among others, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and Daniel Jones and a lot of others. So maybe he figures it out. But it's really hard to believe in the small handful of ACC – I'll bet you 12 of the 15 teams in this league feel pretty good about what they have returning at quarterback. And I think at Duke, it's just an entire guessing game. Maybe it turns out well, but there's no proven commodity at QB on the entire Duke roster. And that always has coaches kind of biting their fingernails heading into a season.
1: Yeah, I think that that's certainly true. What do you think of of Chase Bryce, the the Clemson transfer? Uh, He's been – Talking to Phil Steele, that, that seems to be the guy that he thought was going to, is going to be the starter at Duke.
0: In all likelihood, yes, and he did some nice things as a Clemson backup, but it's always a leap of faith, right? Is Chase Bryce, who learned under Dabo Sweeney in a very successful program, uh, is having him better than having to rely on – there was a scenario where Duke was going to have to rely maybe on a true freshman, now a promising yeah. true freshman, but that's a recipe for not, a nightmare. Only Phillip Rivers and a small handful of other true freshmen have really excelled in ACC football history. There are others, of course. But, uh, yeah, having the guy who at least was a backup for such a successful program, does that mean he's automatically going to be an above-average ACC quarterback? I think that's a little bit of a leap of faith, but yes. That's why David Cutcliffe went on the transfer circuit, because he knew that what he had coming back was not the way you want to see your quarterback depth chart in the ACC. Yeah,
1: that's uh, certainly the case. Again, talking to uh, to David Glenn of accsports.com, also the athletic, the athletic as well. Uh, we also saw, the, I, I guess, the interesting thing that, uh, that came out today, as we mentioned, the SEC uh, made, made their announcement. I think many people assumed – When the ACC made the 10-plus-1 announcement, all right, it sets up for the SEC to either do the same thing or something similar to keep those four ACC-SEC rivalries intact. They did not go that way. (laughs) They went with an all-conference schedule like the Big Ten and like the Pac-12. How shocked were you by that? I was pretty surprised
0: because, number one, we know that the commissioners of these leagues talk to each other all the time. so especially once the Big Ten and the Pac-12 had previously come out with their statements. Who's going to talk to each other the most? Well, the ACC commissioner and the SEC commissioner. There is some interaction between the Big 12 and those two leagues. Uh, There were some high-profile matchups that also fell by the wayside today uh, that would have matched prominent Big 12 versus prominent SEC. But I would have thought that seniors Swafford and Sankey would have talked to each other a lot and maybe not surprised each other by what they did. And in fact, not only are we talking about, you know, the old saying, follow the money when you're trying to understand a situation. Why did the ACC hope for an 11-game schedule? Well, because they'll get a lot more from their TV partners if they play 11 versus eight or eight plus one, et cetera. Um, why did they want to preserve those four SEC-ACC matchups, part of it is tradition, right? In terms of non-conference major college football, do you know what the longest non-conference hasn't missed a, a, a year in more than 100 seasons? You know which rivalry that is? It's Clemson-South Carolina. I, I was about
1: to say, I think it is Clemson-South Carolina, and that, that that's, just blew my mind. Like it's, also, these, these games are so easy to play. Like, they're in-state matchups. They just – they would have made easy sense to make those games happen. It sounds weird to say
0: this out loud, but the last time the Gamecocks and the Tigers did not play on the gridiron was 1908. So, I mean, we've been through world wars and yeah. and plagues and crazy stuff and and yet they still played every year there was a while of course South Carolina was a member of the ACC a long time ago but i think it's there's a big 10 rivalry that is an even older played every year rivalry but Clemson South Carolina is number 2 on that list number 1 on the no, now non-conference list and unless something weird happens and that phrase should stay in play right yeah <laughs> if if, if Next week's South Carolina opponent gets a bunch of guys sick from COVID and next week's Clemson opponent gets a guy, a bunch of guys sick from COVID and somehow mid season, they have to both cancel their scheduled games. You never say never about the Gamecocks and the Tigers saying to each other, wait, we both lost our scheduled opponents on the same Saturday. Why don't we play each other? Yeah. You'd need a waiver of some sort for that, but everything is on the table this year. So anybody thinking that this 10 plus one or this SEC announcement that everything automatically will unfold that way, I think they're making a false assumption because there's a whole lot of curveballs coming our way.
1: Yeah, I I think that's certainly true. And I think uh, we've seen that with the MLB uh, football is obviously an even more contact sport. Uh, Something else I wanted to ask you about in this announcement yesterday kind of got, it got a little overwhelmed by the by the ACC's announcement, but but that Caleb Farley, who is a first round projection out of Virginia Tech, cornerback, uh, he opted out of the season, uh, or opted not to play this season. How, how many more guys do you think do that? Does that for this season? Uh, it's
0: an educated guess at best because this news is so brand new. Um, we've seen more than. A small handful by this point, it reminds me of when guys started skipping bowl games. Remember yeah. Leonard fournette uh, was knew he was going to be a first round draft pick, left LSU prior to a bowl game. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. remember he did not play the yep. final game at Stanford to protect his body, protect his draft status, and I understand why those guys did it. There's a combination of Caleb Farley knows that he is well regarded by the NFL. There could be other guys who simply are fearful of putting themselves at increased risk, risk of COVID-19. Everybody feels differently about that. Some people are very sensitive, some border on paranoia, others are not very sensitive at all and just say it's, you know, it's worth the risk or it's another day at the office. So I think we're gonna see some people protecting their draft status. I think we're gonna see others if they have, or, you know even some 18 to 22 year olds have special conditions you know, that make them in a high risk category. I think a lot of those folks, it's not a huge percentage, but uh, I would, if I were in a high risk category, I would want to uh, button down. And who knows, some guys don't want to risk going home to a high risk mom or dad, or maybe their grandparents live in their household and they'll be on at college most of the time, but for various reasons, some college athletes have children. And, and don't want to not interact with their small child, and, but don't want to put them at COVID risk either. So uh, it's, it's hard to guess what that final number or percentage is going to be, but I think people should get over the idea of being surprised when it does happen because it's going to happen every week between now and the, when these games are
1: played. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's certainly true. And I think something else that people need to know that isn't necessarily commonly known information, I read this yesterday. That if a player does test positive and has to get an extensive amount of health care for that, they if they don't have health insurance, first of all, players have to prove they have health insurance before they can even play in college. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, Uh, but if they don't have health insurance, it's on the player and their family. Like it's not on the college. I think people will get lost in this that and don't realize it because. You'll see the occasional time where somebody like a Marshawn Lattimore has a horrible injury and they either have insurance, cover, they either have a you know, clause taken out to protect their, their status or the university will step up occasionally and take care of it. And that, that could obviously happen in this case if you get you know, some bad cases. But I think people need to realize that. And that's, a, I think, a big part of why some of these guys will potentially opt out.
0: Yeah, and one thing to remember is that the rules are different and a little bit complicated. For example, if you were a star running back, Ryan, and you, you know, broke your leg in the big game, you are going to be served medically by your university without, in most cases, impacting your family's insurance, right? Whereas if you were just out, uh, you know, at the beach on a trip with your buddies and you got hurt that way, that's going to fall back on sort of your family's yeah. insurance. So, with COVID, unless you know how you got it, you can't really call it a football injury unless you know you were roommating, you were a roommate of this guy who turned out to have it and that's how you caught it. You don't know if you went to some party down on, you know, Hillsborough at Hillsborough Street at NC State or Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. We've already learned that, you know, the Miami Marlins baseball incident was traceable to a party there have been professional soccer incidents traceable to a party.
1: I think Rutgers is the same way. Rutgers football, I believe.
0: Yes. So typically if you connect whatever your medical issue is to your sport, your university is going to take care of you under a certain policy. If it was unrelated to your connection to that sport, it's probably going to fall on you. And one thing we've already seen is major universities, including Ohio state asking these athletes to sign waivers basically saying if something goes wrong related to COVID, you're not going to blame it on us and sue us. Yeah. And a lot of people found that distasteful, given that they're amateur athletes without legal representation. But that's the way many schools have done it. And that's just one more layer to this, man. Their are season ticket policies <laughs> being discussed. Yeah. Carolina just canceled all season tickets earlier this week or late last week. Uh, so it's individual game tickets and season ticket holders have, you know, three different options for how to apply what they had paid for their season tickets. So, man, there's everywhere you look, there are new layers to this crazy 2020 college football season. And certainly there are a lot of people nervous
1: about those things as a result. Yeah. I, no question about it. I, it's hopefully, we get to have a season. It, it doesn't get interrupted. It starts on time. That's being extremely optimistic, obviously, as somebody that's, uh, that's in sports broadcasting. But uh, hopefully we end up uh, getting to have a season. Again, we've been talking to, uh, to David Glenn of accsports.com and The Athletic. Uh, David, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast uh, so much this week. It's great to be with you, Ryan. Thanks for the invitation. And that's good stuff from, uh, from David Glenn of accsports.com and The Athletic. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Believe in Tobacco Road podcast. As always, you can download on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get podcasts.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day,